Unmistakable evidence has established the fact he is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds. Welcome to the Truth 316 Podcast, the place that we honor that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Our prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. This week, we take our second look at the sons of God. Open up your Bibles and join us as we continue to investigate this difficult and very controversial topic. Good evening at 631. Do you have any idea what I'm going to say? That'd make one of us. So, last week we started talking about, well actually it wasn't last week, it was a couple weeks ago when Pastor Grimm was teaching about um, Elohim, the, the, the word Elohim, which means God, it's translated God. It's actually a Hebrew word that is in the plural, right? So we sometimes will recognize that when it's speaking of the Lord God as a, the Trinity because it's, a, it's used as a singular, the God or, or God, and it's, it's Elohim. But then as we read further on, it's, it says in the scriptures, there are many Elohim. And we all got mad at Matt when he read that because we were like, what are, you, what are you talking about? There's only one God, but it is a very broad topic. And where we were going with this last week was talking about the, the B'nai Elohim that were called the sons of God, translated in the English, that looked upon the daughters of men, right? And then they had this offspring that were... Um, also known as the mighty men of old. And we'll go through um, that uh, in somewhat of a review uh, later on, but I think that we should start with a word of prayer. Will you start us, Matthew? Yeah. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for another day. We thank you for the gift of life and the gift of new life in Jesus. And we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit among us. And so we pray uh, tonight that your Holy Spirit would be our counselor and teacher, and we pray that you would um, especially rest your presence upon that as he takes us through the scriptures, and we pray that you would be honored and glorified in all this, and that we would uh, know you better, we would be able to read your scriptures more effectively, and that we would um, we would wrestle in our own life with, with your purposes for us. And so uh, we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I, I do just want to mention... Because this kind of has been a class on the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Well, why did we kind of jump into this kind of discussion on stuff? Well, some of it's because we've used the, you know, Deuteronomy and Genesis and places where this comes up. But it really is, a big part of it is helping us understand <clears throat> the, the writers and the mindset of the, the biblical authors. Right, that sometimes in our modern way of thinking, we don't necessarily think in these terms, and so kind of wanted to dive in this deeper because it, it does, I think, help us read the Torah and you know better if we get a sense of what was happening. Right, and it's very often that we will read the scriptures, um, and if it's a common passage, uh, 
we don't recognize some of the details that might be there staring us in the face. Uh, for example, about this Genesis 6-4 scenario where the judgment that the Lord has just basically spoken that his spirit will um, not strive with man forever. What's all the circumstances that are, are going to that? And he limits those end days to 120 years, which is the time up until the flood comes. By the way, who is the oldest person in the Bible? Methuselah. Yeah, Methuselah. He lived to be 969 years old. But if that's true, how is it that he died before his father? The trick is to figure out who his father was. <laughs> right? It's Elijah. And he, um, not Elijah, but um, oh, I just lost his name. Who's the one that walked into heaven with God and didn't die? Enoch. Enoch. Thank you. Uh, I, I hadn't uh, lost it. So he didn't die. So there, that's how that happened. The other thing that's kind of interesting about that, um, somebody mentioned Chuck, Chuck Missler. Was that you that mentioned Chuck Missler? So you've, you've listened to him, but he made some uh, mentions uh, about the flood as well. And the thing that's interesting is the names and what they mean in the Hebrew language. And Methuselah, his name literally means in the Hebrew, death shall bring or his death shall bring. And it was in the year that Methuselah died that the flood came. So his death was um, not only the point of the end of that prophecy that his death should uh, bring the flood into being, but it also shows as him being the oldest uh, person in the Bible listed how patient and long-suffering God is for mankind. So again, we mentioned about Pastor Grimm talking about the uh, many Elohim, which is the different uh, gods. Uh, we want to stick with our concept of, of course, there is only one true God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. Then we had this incident that we talked about last week where Paul is speaking in Mars Hill about the the gods. He's, he's saying to them, I, I see that you have many gods here, but then you have this, this, this altar that's listed to the unknown God, right? And he explains to them, hey, I'm going to tell you who this unknown God is. And it wasn't that he was agreeing with them that there was actually these true gods, right? But, but the fact that this true God that he's going to explain to him is the one true God who created all things. And not only that, um, it's through the son who died and was resurrected. So he points to this one true God. And he does the same thing in that uh, passage in Corinthians. So let's go ahead and take a look at the hot topic that we started to address last week. And this is the, the Genesis uh, 6 account here. Evening, guys. Hi. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, all of whom they chose. And uh, what, are, what are some of our options here of, about the sons of God that we talked about last week? Angels. Okay, so the sons of God, uh, B'nai Elohim, sons of, of, of God, uh, are sometimes referred to as angels or thought of in that manner here. What's another option? Seraphim, cherubim. I don't know if you talked about that last week, but the week before that. Well, yeah, the direct creations, we talked about some of that, but in this regard to this exact phrase of the sons of God, uh, there was options that they were either the sons of God, like angels, or they were of a... Descendants of, 
a particular lineage Seth. of Seth, right? The godly lineage, right? And the other ones were of, of Cain um, and Cainites. And, yeah, Matthew. I have one other. There, there's a third option. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're going to say, so I'm going to wait for you. <laughs> well, the third is sometimes that some theologians have said that the sons of God here and in other some other passages are referring to um, rulers. Correct. Earthly, and judges and stuff. Earthly yeah. rulers mm-hmm. and right. judges, which would be human rulers and judges. Correct. So that's the other. Right. Oh, I, I got a question. I know we debated <clears throat> about that last week. But I'm trying to put two things together. Um, and I confess that I'm a Western educated man. I got out of third grade, but I read the papers. <laughs> so, Amen. Okay, so, you know, that's who I am. I don't think of the spirits. When I'm hearing you say that um, the the word Elohim on all this stuff is that there are there are actually spiritual beings or angels or something that are ruling like cities or, or parts of the earth and they're real people they're real entities they're just not you know as powerful as God but they're very powerful it's real is is would you say yes to that, or I'm mixed up? I would, and I wish I probably, I wish I would have included this in the notes. So I'm going to have to go one more week. No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. I won't be here next week. So, but um, I, to answer that, and then I'll let uh, Pastor Grimm jump in. What I would say to you is, I'm I'm taken to like the Book of Daniel, um, where he he goes into the dream and he uh, has this vision uh, with uh, Michael, the archangel, coming down, and he's going to have a battle with the prince of, of Persia, right? And so he's going to have this battle. And what we're seeing there is an angelic battle that's taken place as is set up as the power behind this kingdom. So we should recognize, and it should be no surprise to us, that the kingdoms of this world, who's the, king, who's the, who's the god of this world? Trump. <laughs> Usher out. Right? So, okay, one more time, without Steve, everybody. Satan, Satan. Satan right? So, so do we believe that? We, we, we want to understand, of course, that the Lord Almighty, Yahweh, is the supreme God of, of all things, and that Satan is God's Satan. So there's nothing that Satan does outside of God's overall control, right? But he's given the dominion of the earth to Satan, the Lord has, right? And we know this to be true because he even off, Satan offers up to Jesus... The, the kingdoms of this world, if you would just bow to them, right? So Jesus didn't argue and say, they don't belong to you, they belong to me. No, this is, so anyway. So behind the wickedness of the leaderships in our world in that day, there was perhaps um, demonic realms or demon possession. Would you be okay with any of that? I'm asking you. <laughs> Do you see that in the scriptures? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, okay. seriously, I, I'm making the extension. So when yeah. I see when I see the Ayatollah of such and such, there's there, he's like there's a demon behind him that's ruling that area. Same thing with Biden. Same thing with Trump. I mean, you know, if these are demon people yeah. or entities, yeah. then you know, you, you, there, you have to make an extension. With what you're hearing, right? Well, maybe. With what you're saying, maybe this—that's kind of the third, the third option—is that um, 
First of all, we're just talking about the sons of God, not the results of the sons of God yet. Right? We're just talking about angels or the sons of Seth in this godly line or perhaps judges and rulers and the other possibility of uh, in the countercultures. So in all the pagan cultures of the day, you would have uh, them speak of their rulers as gods, right? Yeah, Which kings, is kings right, kings, right, right, God, and right. so that demon possession the, thing the could God of that realm, right, know. right, and some of this is going to be made manifest, hopefully, as we as we get through the next the next couple of slides. We really took last week slow. Um, a lot of it was because I didn't know what I was saying, and I, <laughs> but but we wanted to, uh, at least I wanted to, just st- stay in the scriptures because it's really easy. To go to the next phase, if you're of one particular view, and then once you have a certain presupposition about something, when somebody else has a, a different opinion, you, you just get your back up, right? And you don't know what you're talking about. I don't get it. But I really wanted to examine the whole thing, and so I'm trying to remain as neutral as possible on this. As long, but I still have an opinion, and I know Pastor Matt does as well. But this is where we're going with this. Let's just continue on with this, and then we'll see where this takes us. Do you have anything you want to add just yet? Well, yeah, I think maybe a little bit what you're getting at is in these three views, I, there's one which I think is the weakest, which would be like the, the sons of Seth. I, I, I think it, there's other places we'll get into that. But what I wrestle with in my mind is the other two, is there a way that they're, are they both kind of there in what you're saying? Is there, are, because there are earthly rulers and judges that are in place, but is there this spiritual reality that's influencing them um, behind them, which I think is, is kind of the, the issue. And then, and so then what is that um, happening throughout all of Scripture? But here in particular, it becomes, I think it goes beyond just an influence of, a, of them because you have to answer the question, if they're taking wives for themselves, then either angels are taking human form or these spiritual beings because right. angels could even be a specific delineation of spiritual beings. Um, so are, they, you know, are there other principalities and powers than just angels? <coughs> right. It's, it's, it's a whole other discussion. Yeah. But the point is, are they taking physical form and having relations with, with women? Right. That's, that's, the, that's the thing that freak, freaks my mind out. Right? But that's really the question that's at hand. Because there's one thing to have rulers and judges who might be being influenced by that. There's another thing that those spiritual beings are actually taking human form and mating. Right? Uh, so that's, that's, the, that's the thing that's hard to wrap my, my mind around. So now you're in the David Icke realm. Does anybody know who David Icke is? Yes. I mean, yeah. you know, he... Yeah. He says that, uh, you know, there's the reptilian people. Yeah, and it it would be because he's not using a biblical look at it, but he's using that in the same manner, by the way. So, so yeah, absolutely. Right, yeah. So, so regardless of what what we see here, we see that the sons of God and the daughters of men, and so two different ways to describe things, and they took wives, all of whom they choose. And what we're going to recognize here is that regardless of what happens... Uh, we're seeing evil on the earth, right? This is this is taking place on earth, and we're seeing evil come come to. So, whatever the fruit of this is going to be, is something that God's going to be coming forth with judgment on. And so, we can hold. I think we can hold some of those views in tension without landing on particular one for a while here until we look at some further scriptures. Um, 
um, and be okay with just understanding this is the result of it. Agreed? All right. The Lord said, My spirit shall not stray with man forever. These are all verses we looked at last time. Um, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So just like we examined this last week, what, what's the catalyst or what, what's the effect of this union? The mighty men, right? And, and then also we have this word uh, giants, which is where the Hebrew word is actually Nephilim. And we get, um, is, it, is it the Latin word or, or Greek word that we get gigantus from? Is that from the Septuagint? It might be. I don't know. Yeah. It's probably is Latin. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't mean giant, but it became giant. And they were. We know that they were giants. And so we're going to find out more about the offshoots of all those people and it says it twice there were giants on the earth in those days and also what after what after the flood right so it's kind of weird god's going to judge this my spirit's not going to strive with man 120 years flood but then also afterward so interesting um and they bore children unto them and the giants they were the mighty men who were of old okay and as pastor matt mentioned a couple weeks ago uh all these cultures outside of the biblical cultures, pagan cultures, have these, I don't know, you call them myths or, or stories about like the Titans, for example, which were these big um, men, half-breed type things. And so that story goes a long ways in, in history with countercultures as well. Latin America and stuff, sometimes they say they found huge... It's in every culture around the world is what, they, is what you pretty well find. And that's, yeah. And uh, so, interesting. What, what is your, is this your, what, what scripture is this? Is it NIV? What this, is, this is New King James, but go ahead. It says, the Son of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. Right. Now that tells me another story about <laughs> the sons of God. They've already made their mind up in this particular. They, what, what version is that? Uh, well, that's this is NIV, but I don't Well, this is the, and this is the concern or not. The reason that that is happening is that in the scriptures, the term. uh, Oh, it is. Okay. So um, the, the B'nai um, Ha Elohim, when it's used, is only used like five times in in the Hebrew, in in the Bible. And each time that it's used, it seems when it's used in a strong case, it's speaking of an angelic realm. But as we get into um, the Septuagint, and we come back to the Dead Sea Scrolls that Matt, uh, Pastor Matt talked about. Um, they've, they've, they modify it to say exactly what you said. So some somebody is leaning towards this being the angelic realm coming down, okay? And we also have the book of Jude. We have First Peter, Second Peter, that is hinting towards that as well. I don't even know if I have those in here yet. It's crazy stuff, but again... One of my thoughts was it's also afterwards, so I was kind of interesting that the problem doesn't totally get solved with the with the flood, right? And as Pastor Matt has always said, you start off with the Garden of Eden, and then you have the earth cleansed, and then you have this no, another another Eden experience, right? And that's everything is great until Noah gets drunk. Remember that he, he gets really gets drunk, and and he has his fall, and it, then it's, it stops. And it's, it, you, you keep seeing the Lord trying to get people to come back to 
Eden or the promised land, so to speak, and that's a very a big thing, and that's going to have some uh, play with what we go into afterward on this as well. So this is the Hebrew word again, the Beneha Elohim, uh, for the sons of God, and then the daughters of men is, uh, I don't know how you pronounce that, but no, um, ha Adam, and we know Adam is Adam, and that's where we get the word man from. And so we see, again, their differences in where they're coming from, right? It's, it's listed it's listed differently, so how that's inferred is really important. So they're, they're also using the daughters of men. So are, are the sons of men, are there, no, are there no good or bad sons of men? If this is going to be like of Cain, why is it so specific? Can't you fall in both directions, right? Talked about this a couple weeks ago um, uh, when I was teaching about Abraham coming out of the Ur of Chaldeans. And if, if you recall, when Abraham gets his, his first call out, he says, you're gonna, God says, you're going to go into the Canaan land, which, of course, is in Israel or as we know it today. But here's Ur, and they travel these 400 miles or whatever up to northern Syria to Haran. This territory here... Um, does anybody know what might be pretty close to this territory that's quite biblical in maybe the Genesis 12 account? Tower of Babel is right in this general area here, okay? So this is uh, like modern-day Iraq and stuff. But uh, this just follows a river up. My point um, on this is that as Abraham is getting called out, he's getting called as God's chosen person to go to a particular land, which is the Canaan land, where he's going to allow him to, uh, to dwell. But he goes up to Haran, which uh, was the father of Lot, um, who ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah. Haran uh, dies in this territory, but they're, they're all living up there. In the meantime, Abraham is collecting disciples, so to speak. And then he gets called out by the Lord, come out of the land, and I'm going to take you down to the promised land. So they travel from the north territory all the way into, here's Bethel, as we would know it today, and Ai, which is very prominent in the biblical battles when we come across Jericho with Joshua in the battle of Jericho right through here, okay? But we have in this, as Abraham comes all the way down and enters into Israel, into, into the Bethel area, um, he does an altar, and then this curious guy shows up in, in this territory in Salem. Who is it? This guy, yeah, this guy was a king and a priest, and Melchizedek, right? So we have this this priestly king feature um, come out and bless Abraham, and we we see that he's the foreshadowing, as, as the book of Hebrews dwells on, of Christ, right? The, the the one true king and priest. Because in Israel, in Jerusalem, the people of Israel, you are either of a king lineage or you're of the priestly lineage and, and never both, right? There's only a couple that are like that. There's three groups of people that are like that. One was Melchizedek, right? The other one was Jesus Christ. He's a high king, priest, high priest and king, right? And then who else? Us, the church. We're, we're priests and, and kings, right? According to the same lineage because we're, we're heirs of, of the throne with Christ. Some, some would actually argue that Adam was... Would, would it was to have that? Of course, yeah. I left him out. Yeah, good. That's actually a great point. Uh, but Abraham's not. He comes into this is the this is the Canaan land right here that he's coming into, and he's not there only as passing through. And as he's coming to take possession of the land that the Lord has called him out to, he says, "Guess what? Your descendants are going to go to Egypt for 430 years." 
right? So they don't even get to possess the land, but the promise is still there. Now, why am I making a big deal about this when we're talking about, you know, the sons of God, Nephilim and all of this? It's because when Moses and the Egyptian or, and the Hebrew children are called out of the land, they already recognize that they're going in to take possession of a land that's inhabited by a certain group of inhabitants. There's all these other groups of people out there that are going to get named, and that's going to be, you would recognize them like the Jebusites and, and stuff like that. But let's take a look and, and see what these boundaries look like. So after the Exodus, when they get through the, the Red Sea crossing and everybody's joyous and Pharaoh is lost in the sea, um, in Genesis chapter 15, uh, Moses writes something down. What is it? It's a, it's a song. They, they sing this, this praise of song. And I know we have read this. Exodus 15. Yeah, what did I say? You said Genesis. Yeah, Exodus 15. Sorry. And Exodus 15. Um, I know we've read this uh, several times, but it's going to be very interesting because the very first thing he's going to do is he's going to be glorifying Yahweh as Savior. Of course, he's just redeemed them from the land of Egypt. Uh, part of the song is going to be about Pharaoh's loss in the Red Sea. So he's... He's been conquered, and also that Yahweh is going to overthrow by the power of the enemies. He's a very strong man. But then let's take a look at what happens just a few verses later. Here's 11 and 13, and this is still part of the song. It's, it's, it's quite long, but he says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You, in your mercy, have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Okay, so this is what he told Abraham to leave his land for, that you're going to go to this new habitation. And this is what he's calling his people out of Egypt are for, to go into their habitation. And so we're starting to transition now from the redemption part of the song to what's going to take place next. But it's interesting. I thought this, this verse is the first thing that caught me. Who are you, O Lord, among what? Among the gods, among the Elohim. So now this isn't saying necessarily that there are other gods, but what he's recognizing is that Egypt, for example, would have had a bunch of other gods, right? Or whatever their case may have been. So even if it's a hypothetical type of thing, all the other gods are nothing compared to you. But nonetheless, you you have any comments on that? Well, just one, the, the very last word to your holy habitation. When's the last time in the story the Lord inhabited the land with mankind? The last time, the previous? The, yeah. Where in the story, the biblical story, when's the last time the Lord inhabited the land with the people? Eden. Yeah, in the garden, I was going to say. Eden, right? So here... So you see, we're going into and he's picturing the promised land as a new Eden, right? This is the place where he's going to dwell with them, have his holy habitation or his holy abode, you know, right. as the ESV, I think. Right. But yeah, so. Well, so. Um, I, I, I got a comment. Because I'm <laughs> thinking that, okay, they're going into the promised land, which is inhabited by a bunch of people who at the very least, if my memory's right, they were sacrificing their children to like Moloch. And, and those people were gods. So I'm thinking the Lord's not happy with yeah. 
yeah. of people polluting his land. Yeah. Right. And there are other gods. There, they, it's because they could they. It's a constant theme going on and on between when Israel they repent, then they go back. Then they repent, then they go back. They repent, they go back. But when they go, when they go, when they revert to um, the you know the gods of the land, they're killing their kids. So they're again. You're, I'm hearing you say these gods were real. They were just sub gods. You know, that's what I hear you saying. Good. <laughs> yeah, well, small gods. Yeah, that, that yeah, would be, yeah. They would be right. Spirit. But they're man's gods. Right. Well, remember, remember, if we go back, yeah. Man's god. It's not like they're right. not. They're not uh, worshiping the true right. creator of heaven and earth. No, they're not. You're right. Right. Well, what? In the very least, what happens is anything that's not true worship becomes idolatry. Right. Which is the right. number one no-no. Right. right. The number two, I believe. Um, but nonetheless, if it's if it's something that we're giving our attention to it is a god in in our eyes right and so th- so it's it's real even if it might not be real but when we're going here uh something of content is here the sons of these elohim is a real entity that's taken place within this this marriage but, yeah, and but i would i would argue the biblical the, the worldview of the people in the ancient near east and i would claim yeah this is what you said three weeks ago yeah is that there is even though they, they, mankind has made an idol, like a physical idol, and that there is a spiritual reality behind that, that that we that we might refer to as like a fallen, uh, as a well, spiritual. Well, to me, it's just another distraction from Satan, just like we have them every day of our life. It's just right. And you're referring but, to like demon possession and things. Well, like that. yeah, we, we <laughs> often refer to them as demons or things like that, but 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 they're but the. The, the idea is that they're they're not thinking of just this piece of wood that man has decided to worship right, no. or cost of it, but they're saying that there is a spiritual reality behind that. Why is a Ouija board so bad for us to mess around with? Because it's a door. To a different reality, not because it's fake, right? So we're talking about the spirit realm, the stuff that's unseen, when kids mess around with these Ouija boards, ah, it's just a fun game, we're just screwing around, horoscopes or nothing. The, the reason that the Lord gives warnings for these things is because there's a very real darkness and power behind them, right? And so, and we know, according to the scriptures, that there are people that are possessed. And I didn't have the luxury of reading your book because you failed to follow up with me, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was curious how you feel about this, and I just started thinking about this, and I don't have anything in my notes, but I'm going to mention this now before I forget. A third of the angels fell. Everybody good with that? Satan and a third of the angels. He took a third with them. They fell. Um, Angels in and of themselves um, can appear into a habitation and into our dimensions. Would you agree with that? Biblical. We can take a look at the account of Sodom and Gomorrah, where the where the angels come in, right? And one of the number one things that was a big no-no there is that in Sodom and Gomorrah, um, what was the big crime that they wanted these angels for? They wanted to have sex with them. Right. They said, "Let's bring them in here. We we want bring them in to us so we may know them." Well, it doesn't mean that they want to get to know them 
you know, their first name, it's, it's a biblical no, to, right? It's a huge, it's a no-no, right? And uh, anyway, but those are angels that are taking a different form. Now, step forward. Do you have something you want to jump in there? Yeah, I do have a question. Obviously, sure. when the, these are fallen angels, uh, if we're descendants from Adam and Eve, so we have a certain bloodline of genetics through Adam and Eve, if they're fallen from heaven, now these have a different genetic makeup because they're from heaven and not from Adam and Eve. So now you have two different types of... I refuse to answer that question. I got scolded for the genetic issue last week. No, but that, it's, it's a good point. Go ahead. Well, see, it's a great question, but it's also a very modern question. That would not have entered, that was most likely not in the mind of Moses as he dreamed. He's not thinking genetics. He's not okay. thinking, you know, in, in the ancient Near Eastern mindset, they're probably not thinking in those terms. They're just thinking there is this reality and they're crossing boundaries. Right. So the, the problem is they, they recognize they're crossing boundaries that shouldn't be crossed, right? But so I, I keep, I'm curious about that very question myself. And that's what keeps me from trying to understand what's really happening here. But yet from a, I can't say that somebody who was writing this 6,000 years ago was thinking about that as they wrote it. You see what I mean? They're not thinking genetics. They're not thinking chromosomes. And well, no, I understand like that. it, but I just, it's a whole different, than we were created, well, and obviously an image through Adam and Eve, but yet these other ones are coming from a different, different spirit, right. a whole different realm. Yeah. Not of Adam and Eve, right. but of obviously something beyond our normal, you know, everyday life. Yeah. Right. And that, and that's and I think back to the Genesis, it, it is the primary sin. <laughs> if that's if that's what's happening here, is that they're crossing a boundary they weren't supposed to. Right. Just like in the Tower of Babel in chapter eleven, men are trying to cross the boundary of trying to work their way to heaven by building this tower. So you see the, you know, this kind of dual reality of the spirit realm that those who are in rebellion against God are, are trying to cross over and and into the and rule the earthly realm, and the and the and the the uh, humans are trying to become like God, you know, and and rule in that from that realm as well. Yeah. So it's so I think that's probably more what's in their mindset here in terms of crossing those boundaries that shouldn't be crossed. Now, how it actually biologically can happen, I don't know. Well, if they did, if they did have children right. of these, then yeah. who are that? Who are the offspring? You know. Sure. What if it was? What if it was even just something? And yeah, is 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 um, simple. If we believe that people can be possessed by a, by demonic force, and there's something in that combination of the offspring of a of a human that's having you know offspring, but while in her possession, there could be something to that. So that's one of like the part of the third view, but we're always going to go with this um, angels being able to manifest themselves uh, as as men, or even the Bible scriptures say say that we've entertained angels unaware and stuff like right. that, right? So there's that. But what happens when Jesus um, confronts the, the the one man and he's he's demon possessed, and he they said. They say to Jesus, uh, who are you, you know, son of man, is the time has not yet come, right? Are you here, what are you, what are you here to do? What is, what's, the, what's the option that they beg to, to do? You know, the pigs? Yeah. They? <laughs> you talking about the graveyard? Yeah, 
Yeah. Guaranteeing the money. Yeah. Yeah. They want to go into the pigs, right? Into the swine. Why do they? Why do they need to do that? They were in. They were possessing something, a different habitation, and now rather than being, you know, the judgment time to hell, they want to be rehabilitated into something else. And my question is, that's weird, as opposed to being just, just let us go our merry way, you know, we'll possess earth a different way. Is every, so I think what we might be getting here, and I was curious, Matt, if this is in your, your book, is there something about fallen angels as a single category and then a subcategory of those who left their natural habitation and those are the ones that is demon possessed as opposed to a fallen angel. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Two, maybe two different categories. Is there anything in that? Well, yeah. So he's referring to this book. It's by Dr. Michael Heiser. It's called The Unseen Realm. Um, it's an interesting book. I don't know that I agree with everything in it. I'm processing it. <laughs> but, but it, yeah, in, in testing the scriptures. But he brings up some of these things. So one of the things he talks about is even within that, like the word demon, um, it... it, it it does have a very specific context within its being used. It doesn't mean that every fallen spiritual being, which we, we often refer to them as angels, it doesn't necessarily mean that the, all of them are demons. Right. He he would say that that there is, if I'm remembering correctly, is that um, some of them are actually um, in uh, are already in kind of a prison. Um, okay, so yeah, so he does say yeah. that. All right, cool. That's going to maybe some of that will come out okay. here in a little bit. So I'm going to read the scripture from Jude. Yeah, go ahead. This brings me back to what I was talking about last week. Before their time, the legions came out. They wanted to go into this line. Yeah. They ran over the cliff. Can these people die? Right. Now, the the, the, you mean the, the spiritual beings? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sons, that's what we're talking about, the sons of God. If they're really the sons of God, right. and they had children, right. what happened to the people that actually had the, the sons of God? Right, and the separation part of that question that you asked, I was trying to distinguish between the sons of God possibly dying or their offspring that were genetically altered. Offspring can go ahead and die. That sons of God, they... They're the Nephilim. It's they're, they're basically called the walking the dead. spiritual beings were so. the fallen right. angels. Can they die? Um, before their time. Before their time, it, it doesn't seem to be that they that they do. That there there's there's either the earthly realm <laughs> that they're in, yeah. or there's this other. We're gonna get to that. Yeah. yeah. All those swine ran over the cliff and died in the swine. Yeah. All died. But the spirits got out of the swine again and went somewhere. Probably. Searching for a new soul. I don't. It doesn't specify, does it? So I don't know. It does. I, not, I, I was curious. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But let's. Um, does anybody have their uh, Bible open to the Book of Jude, and in verses uh, five through uh, seven, I guess. I I would try to. Small little letter right before Revelation. <laughs> what is it? Five through what? Five through seven. Let's read. I can't read it without it my glasses. Now. This is the ESV. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains 
under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. It's a mouthful, right? I mean, you see all, you see all the parallels there? So I'm not even going to comment on it other than to say you can see that we're talking about everything from Egypt to um, angels who left their natural um, habitation to uh, sexual immorality uh, coupled with that. And these things are kind of all grouped together, right? And so it may or may not clarify some things, but just hold on to that verse in the back of your mind, maybe tag it for a later time. And let's compare it to some more scripture that I want to try to get through here in the next uh, 20 minutes for us. How many slides have I done so far? Three out of 50, you guys. Okay. But listen, but they left, those angels left their natural estate, their natural habita- um, habitation, their natural um, dwelling place. And look where the Lord has taken them into a holy habitation. All that really means is dwelling place, but there's, there's things that are natural for the spirit realm, and then there's things that are natural for mankind, and then there's things that are promised to God's chosen people. And that's really all that we care about right now. But it's, there's lots of things that are happening here when you look at the sidelines. Uh, continuing on with this song, the people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of uh, Philistia. What? So what? Any Philistines we know? Goliath. Goliath. A pretty big one, right? Interesting. So they're going to take hold of the inhabitants that are in that possession right now. And the Philistines, which are groups under these um, people of the Anunnaki, uh, which are Rephaim, the Nephilim, and all these really genetically altered (laughs) people. I'm only saying that. (laughs) Uh, Just just testing. I still have no dog in this hunt, by the way. The more I study it, the more I want to prove myself wrong on some of this because it's just too weird. I think I think it, I think it is, you know. So, but it's it's cool nonetheless. Um, so see how it's re, it's it's changed over from the song of rejoicing to now, um, it's starting to go prophetic into what's going to be coming up in the future. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. This is the promise of what's going to happen. They just got out of Egypt. Right? And this is the song of promise. So Moses is singing, and it's prophetic. He's being carried along by the Spirit of God here as he's doing this. But all the inhabitants of Canaan. So this area, like we just mentioned, is loaded with these Rephaim, these Nephilim, the, the breeds of the Anunnaki. Pretty, uh, pretty wild stuff. Have I said anything that you disagree with so far, Pastor Matt? Um. No, don't answer that. <laughs> well, I, like, you know, just modify. We're yeah. I mean, that's it's understanding. Like, you haven't really defined the Anunnaki, right? And so, right. what do you mean by the? Anunnaki? I, I don't have to tell these people that, <laughs> but they understand who the Nephilim are, right? And those are the yeah. those are the results of of this 
sons of God, daughters of men thing, and they're all kind of in this heritage together. So we'll, we'll come back to that, and there might be some more on that. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead. Um, in, in Deuteronomy, so that was uh, Exodus 15. Now, last, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, Pastor Matt was talking about this, and I heard him say it, and I, I kind of heard a different topic that he was talking about until it, it dwelled on me, so I came back to this. But the, um, in Deuteronomy, just before, so is Moses allowed to, to enter into the promised land? He's not, right? So this is kind of the last phase just before Joshua, Caleb, and the youngsters. So everybody that was at the time that they got judged, they weren't allowed to go in, um, go ahead and make their way through. Moses is writing song number two, or whatever it is, right, in this thing. And uh, so this is Moses saying, They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Um, so we know that Yahweh is uh, righteous and perfect, um, but the people keep falling, right? We said this last week. They, they, they get about five minutes into it, and they, and they go ahead and start serving different idols. They make the, um, the cow of gold and all the other stuff. Verse 6, Do you thus deal with Yahweh, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? So he's... When he says that he's bought you, that's it's a twofold thing. One is that's a redemption word. He's redeemed them out of Egypt, right? So that's the redemption process. But we've also been bought with a price, right? And so that's the redemption of eternal life. And not everybody that goes through the the Red Sea as Israelites is redeemed in the same way, right? Some are saved through the water as just being freed, but then there's those that are truly God's children, and those are the ones that, like us, just like when we talked about this before, those that are in the body of believers aren't all necessarily believers, right? We have the wheats and the tares that, are, that, we, that we speak of. So you have to be a little bit selective in how you define this redemption in this, in this phrase. What are they talking about? Just be, He bought you, he redeemed you out of, out of Egypt physically, or is this a, save, a saving thing? Next verse says, Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask your father, and he will show you your elders, and they will tell you. So they're like, if you, don't forget what has happened, and here's how you can know. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. So that's verse 8. So this is still in the New King James Version, and What's what do you see that's happening here? What is he talking about? Ask your fathers, and they'll tell you. When the most I divided in their inheritance to the nations. Well, anything? What? Any thoughts? So, it makes me think of of uh, Tower of Babel. Yeah. That. So. So. Okay. Dividing, I gotcha. Yeah. Dividing of the people. Oh. Okay. I was thinking that way. So what about when Abraham is coming through the land and he says, by the way, <laughs> this, is, this is the land I'm talking about, but you guys are going to go to Egypt for 430 years. During that time that they're in Egypt, what's happening in the land? It's, it's being inhabited by all these other tribes, right? And so that's what I was thinking, but I, I, I think that you're, there's, they can both be kind of right because you have... What's the, what's the, what's the, you call it the table of nations? Table of nations. Yeah. And uh, from Genesis 10, where it talks about how that all, all goes out forth before the, um, 
separation at the Tower of Babel, um, or after. Separates the sons of Adam, set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. So good. We can, we can follow that no problem, right? Here we go. It's coming up. Here it is. Here's, this is the New King James Version. So we have the sons of Adam, right? And we have the, the children of Israel. Is that highlighted? Can you, is that highlighted? It doesn't look like it for me. Okay. Um, so this is this, um, the B'nai of, uh, of, of Adam and then the children of Israel, Yisrael, right? So it's using, when I look in this Hebrew word, it says Yisrael, so it's speaking of, of Israel here. And it's, uh, um, it is, it's children. But let's take a look. Is anybody looking at their ESV right now? Yeah, yeah Matt is. Okay. Here's what it says in the ESV. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. So ESV says mankind is the same type of thing. Mankind and, and just a different way to say the sons of Adam is, is the same type of human uh, generation here. Um, but when I looked at this in the, um, in the interlinear Bible of the, of the Hebrew, it did say Israel here. But it also said Israel in the ESV in the interlinear. And so I'm like, why, why, did, they, why did they take liberty to change it? Well, this is what Matt gave the answer to a couple weeks ago, which is what? My understanding is this Michael Heiser and a couple of some other scholars have said is that the the mass it was changed in the Masoretic text, the the, the oh, Masoretic said, yeah. text, which I believe is like is what we has been passed down since like seventh century, sixth seventh century, something like that. Um, but if you go back to, and you find the older documents than that, like they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls of this, that it actually is B'nai Elohim, right? Not B'nai uh, right. Israel. It, and so, and it go ahead. And so, what they're saying that the they think that the the older texts, and, and then uh, then the other thing is when you go to the Septuagint. So the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Which is what, which is the scriptures that Jesus would have had, as right. well as as well as the apostles. They um, they were that Greek translation was done, you know, during the intertestamental period. Correct. Um, uh, they they have the it's the sons of Theos, the Greek word Theos. So it is the sons of God in that text. And it's not even sons. It's it's, it's angels. Oh. The Angelis. And it is okay. a, a theon. Okay. Yeah. So it says the angels of God in, in the Septuagint, which is written two centuries before Christ. And then the Masoretic was, when you said seven centuries, that's, that's, F, that's AD. AD. Yeah. yeah. So, which is where we get a lot of our biblical translations from. So, yes, sir. Okay. You know, the, the, the details are interesting to me, but I'm, I keep thinking, so what's the point? And, and, I, and here's what I'm hearing you say, possibly. There are like different um, kinds of angels, um, but but in ter- but in, there certainly are different kinds of angels in terms of authority. And there's and yours and here's what I'm hearing you say: possibly, um, God set up or God allowed, you know, let's just say, you know, a hundred 
um, type of big time angel with lots of power to rule particular parts of the land. That's what I hear you saying. And through the generations that are going down, men, men and kings are ruling, but they're really subjected to the the, the the ruling angels that this is referring to. Is that what I hear you saying? It is, and, and here's the... Here's the context of this question, because what I want to say when he said dividing, um, dividing up the land of Israel, I'm always thinking that, well, it's Israel and the, and the sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes that are divided up on the land. So that makes sense. But that's not what's saying here. It's saying that it's being taken away from them. It's he's divided up their inheritance and, and has given it to the sons of God. Well, if this is if this sons of God is referring to the sons of Seth, that's supposed to be the godly lineage, and now it doesn't make any more sense anymore to me, right? right? We have contrast in who, I mean, because the children of Israel and the sons, and the sons of Seth, uh, if that was ever indeed a, a thing, I'm not, I might be, I've taken that too far, but that's how I'm, I'm seeing. It's some indeterminate number. That right. Know about. Right. So, yeah. s- right, exactly right. So. The New Living Translation says heavenly court. Yeah. Also, so Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Which relates back to I think I think I referenced a couple weeks ago Psalm eighty two, yep. the divine council and God judging, you know, proclaiming judgment on the wickedness of the nations on the sons of God because of the wickedness of the nations in Psalm eighty two. So if you read Psalm eighty two, that divine council kind of idea, and, and you take this in account with it instead of just being earthly judges and rulers, but actually he's he, these spiritual beings that were given this authority he's judging them and so there's a sense in which it's not that they're subject to them but actually what the earthly rulers just give themselves over to them yeah so think about romans one he handed them over right so when when people choose to follow these people are choosing to follow these guys now he gave them authority he permitted them to have these realms right but the humans still give themselves to them it's not like they're forced to they give, they, the humans are willingly giving themselves to them. So he's judging, he, in like Psalm 82, he'd be judging the, the angelic beings or divine, the sons of God for leading these people into witness. But, it's, but he also, throughout all the scriptures, he's judging the nations for following those gods. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, a, there's a dual judgment. It's a judgment of the spiritual realm and of the, the earthly realm. Right? See, Western people, correct me if I'm wrong, we don't have any problem thinking, yeah, Hitler, he was, he was, he was um, following a demon. But then you say to yourself, well, if all this is true, well, was Trump following a demon? Is Biden following a demon? Is Pelosi? I mean, are people that high up with that kind of authority? I mean, are those children of God? I mean, are they are they subjected to the children of God? If you, you know, and then my mind thinks of. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You uh, wrestle against principalities and powers. And, right. and it starts... In high places. Right. You know, and you think to yourself, you know, I, I read that, I believe it, but I don't I don't think it. Right. You really like the cartoons where they got one on each side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Well, it, well and what's been challenging to me is, in, especially as you read the Old Testament, what's the role of the nations in the Old Testament? 
and you see all these prophecy against the nations. And, and sometimes God uses the nations to judge Israel, but at the same time, he still judges those very nations. So you think about the story of Jonah, right? And he actually is giving that nation an opportunity to repent, and they do. But then there are other times they don't. And they, it just, it's just really interesting to see the nations in this light, that, that, that there is a, you know, that there's, you read about that there's a, there is a spiritual battle going on, especially if you look back to the covenant that we've talked about from the very beginning of this class, right? Of God saying he's going to bless Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. Right? So all this is in context that he's his God's goal is actually to bless the nations. Right. Right? So how's he going to go about doing that? Well the, the the first plan was through Abraham and then through the redeeming of Israel and bringing them out, taking them into the land that their possessing of the land was actually to become a blessing to the nations. Right. At some point. By the way, which Abraham fulfilled and I, I, I glanced by it when I was talking about Abraham. Remember when he went to the first trip up to Haran, which is northern Syria up there? By the time he got called out of there, he had witnessed to many people in that area, and people were then following him, and they followed him out into to the Canaan land, which is a very interesting thing. So he's being a blessing unto a people that were strange in that area. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's so much to be thought about. You know, again, we, when, we, when I think about the territories... Divided up, I think of the children of Israel, not of their territories being handed over to the sons of God. It's a, it's just an interesting thing. This is kind of a map of uh, of how they all settled in to the to these areas around um, the nation of Israel, and uh, this is after the fact. Though this is after they they move in and take possession of the land that they finally do take. And by the way, once they're in there, um, and everything should be going good for them, and they should be reaping God's blessings. They misbehave again, don't they? They start going after different gods. They can't figure out which king is right, and so we have this division of the northern tribes and the southern tribe, and um, it's uh, it's it gets it gets um, it gets ugly after they choose a king for themselves. Here, so let's go back and ask this question one more time. Is that I think it's just a matter of of recognizing that it's the nations outside of Israel because it's Israel's inheritance that was divided up, right? So do we agree with that? Does everybody see it that way in the context? It's just, it's interesting. Okay. Do you, do you have verse 9 up there too? I don't, but read okay. it. Well, the other thing is, one of the things I think for me that confirms this too is verse 9. I don't think says, I says, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted inheritance, right? Mm. And so the nations are, but, but he, that in choosing the nation for himself, he said, they're my portion. Right, we and, mentioned that last week. The remnant, yeah, basically. And so, but, but so in this whole narrative, right? Yeah. And God claiming for Himself Abraham and his descendants and their people and bringing them out of Egypt, He's saying, "This is my nation. This is my portion. I'm their God." And he, in remember in Exodus 19 in previous classes, they say, "I'm going to be your God. Are you going to be my people? Yeah, we're going to be your people." Hmm. And they enter into covenant, right? Hmm. And, and so that's His portion. And his portion is to go into this land that, that, and and possess it, that then will be a blessing to all these things. But the reason I, one of the reasons I think the sons of God have these, have these other, were given authority in these other nations is because in verse nine he says, "My portion is Jacob, 
and his people. Yeah. And so he's like, I claim these people, but these other nations I've given to others. <laughs> right. It's kind of, it's, to me, I think is the inference right. of that. And so, right. which again is just looking at it in that in that way is a new. It, it, yeah, and in, and in the overall big picture, it's God's way once again of showing His people His mercy on them, His grace, and that the earth belongs to the Lord and the fullness thereof. Right. So He promises them a land, and then He divides up the land to the to these other nations, and then He says. We're going to go in. I'm going to follow you or, or lead you into these nations, and you're going to triumph over all these nations as you, as you take it back, right? Killing them as, as you're doing it. And uh, we see that with Joshua. So when they, go, when they start heading back into this land, um, the promised land, uh, they, they leave Exodus, they head into Can- uh, Canaan, and they wander around for the 40 years, and then we just read that last song. Um, the inhabitants of the land at that time we talked about are the Moabites and the Jebusites and, and those types, right, and the, and the Philistines. So in, in Numbers it says that the Lord spoke to Moses before they're going into the land. He says, send men out to, to spy the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. So he's making a promise. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you this land, but let's go ahead and send, and send the spies out. Um, from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone, a leader among them. So you're going to send out uh, these guys to represent their tribes, and they're going to go spy the land. So this is actually the children of Israel at this time? <laughs> this, 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 this is, yeah. Exactly right. You wonder why God told them to do this, even though he's going to give it to right. them anyway. It was, it was promised for yeah. Right. I think that's that's true in everything that God promises to us because there's there's the command I'm going to give you this and then it says step out in faith and do it right. Yeah, maybe so, Pastor Wines' sermon talked about a test. Yeah. Right. Why does God put tests before us? See where our heart right. is. Jesus says to to them when Lazarus is in the grave, what? Roll away the stone. What happens if they don't roll, roll away the stone? They have to do the act of faith. Oh, this is a little bit crazy. Let's do it. But that, that was kind of an act of faith. So there's always that um, leading of God that does that. And you can see that time and time again. But good, good thought there. So um, they send out the men. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. So they went up and spied out the land. I'm skipping some incidentals here. And they came to Hebron. Um, they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Um, so they're out there they're, they're to see what the land is like. Is it, is it got fruit? If it does, bring some of it back and all these other things, right? Um, so what, what are they, what's the report? They brought bread. They grapes. Yeah. They, had a, yeah. Yeah, they were so bowl. big, they had to them on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. Right. The other thing that it says inside this verse here, I think, or in this passage here, it talks about who the, An- the Anak were and who the Jebusites were, and these are the people that they're, that they're going into on. But here's the next part of the, the next three verses here. Now they departed and came back to Moses, and they brought back word to them and showed them the fruit of the land, like you were just saying. Then they told him and said, We went to the land, and it truly flows with milk and honey, and here's the fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Okay, interesting. So this is uh, the Hittites are in the, the south, uh, um, and all these other the, the the hill dwellers, as the Jebusites are, are called. Um, but let's keep going. 
<laughs> so we got Joshua and Caleb. We got to love Caleb. Caleb quieted the people um, before Moses and said, "Let us go up and once and take the possessions." They just heard that they're fortified cities and they're, they're, there's a lot of them. They're very strong. Caleb's like, "Let's go." You know what is what is Caleb here? Yeah, here he just heard the promise of God. I just gave you this land, right? So he's not, he's, he's already seen and walked out in faith before. Let's go out and take possession of it at once, for we are, we are able to overcome it. So other Caleb is like, cool, let's roll. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they uh, gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone out as spied um, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw there um, in it are men of great stature. Uh, there we saw giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. This is what I said um, earlier in the evening. Um, and we were like grasshoppers. We were like insects. And um, in our own sight and also in their sight. So when we're looking at them, yeah, we're, I feel like an insect. And when they're looking at us, they're like, you know, you guys are a bunch of insects. So big it says stature, right, and big people, and Anak. So this is why that generation of people or whatever it is has something that's different about them that seems to me more than just being two different people that one is a, a follower of God and one's not. That's the biggest evidence um, for me on it. I don't know where you land on that, but that would be the one that would sway me the most. I, I wish I didn't have to follow that thought. But. Well, and then this Michael Heiser... He would say that that's, in essence, the, one of the justifications for the conquest. A lot of people, well, why would God go in and, and remove all these people from this land and destroy this and what he is? And he, he's saying it's because of this, right. that, it's, um, that he's removing that. The, 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 well, the goal is to remove the, the uh, evil from the land. When, and when the Lord sends him in to take over, what is, what is he... Does, how many of the people does he tell them to kill? Everyone, including the women and the children, yeah. Yeah, and the animals. Basically, the whole, the whole, the whole deal, right? Don't leave anything. And what's what's that purpose? It's kind of like what you're saying there. What, yeah, there's it's a total it's a total purging. It's it's interesting. And it's not not the same in all cases. Referring back to your Jude thing, your Jude reference, where where you said. These people stepped out of, they're the results of people and angels stepping out of their boundaries. That's the, what, that's the clue that I was suggesting could be um, explaining uh, the fallen angel leaving its natural habitation. And this is part of, of the result. This is the result of that um, union between the sons of Seth and the sons of, and the daughters of, of man are the Nephilim, which is which is spoken of. I've never, I've never, I've never heard anything like this. Amen. Have you? Yeah, I heard some of the spiritual beings and stuff, and the giants and stuff like that. But uh, the, but the angels having the relationships and all that. What did that bloodline then stop there? I mean, just I mean. Well, they didn't kill them all. Though. Well, so we see right, Goliath. Right. We see Goliath show up later with David. So okay. it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you have Og and and other. By the way, not all the not all the giants were as big as Goliath. Most of them were bigger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's here's one of them, for example, um, Og, who's the the king of Bashan. Remained. Um, he was the one that remained. And this is in, Deuter in Deuteronomy. He remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, 
His bedstead was an iron bedstead. It is not, uh, hang on a second. And then how big is it? Nine cubits is its length. How big is a cubit? From the tip of your finger to your elbow. Yeah, so there's, there's a couple of different realms. About the shortest measure of it, I think, is 15 inches, but typically like 18 all the way up to like 20 inches. But if we said a foot and a half, so nine and a, and a, nine and a half over again is what, 14? If they're average height, that could maybe only be a five foot. So. Yeah, so that's even worse, right? So, yeah, when you're, <laughs> when you're shorter, now you're dealing with somebody that's uh, 13, 14 feet tall and uh, et cetera. So that's just a, a report to say how big it was. And by the way, uh, many reports, I think, in the, in the scriptures as well, of six-fingered, six toes. That's how they, one of the things that they did it. They also had a speech impediment. There was one that they couldn't say. What was the word they couldn't say? Plethibits? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Nice job. I like that. Right. What I said, and I think I said this in last class, and this will be the, the last um, part of the class, is that the B'nai Ho Elohim, the sons of God, when it's used in the scripture, at least if we're using it in terms of the angelic realm, which the Septuagint seems to agree with, by the way, also in the book of Enoch, which is the account of uh, the same thing as uh, Genesis 6-4, uh, specifically points them as the angelic realm. All right, so they're using that. But when using that context, the word sons of God throughout the scriptures, to me, is referring to a direct creation of God. If it's, if it, if it's indeed talking about angels, which are a direct creation of God, we mentioned this last time with Adam, was a direct creation of God. We are not, right? We're a creation of what? Our parents. So we're sons of Adam. We're not sons of God until what? Until when? Well, here it is. Um, in John's gospel in the first uh, chapter here, it says that he was in the world and the world was made through him, speaking of Jesus Christ, of course, and the world did not know him. So this is uh, uh, speaking of Christ, the, the logos. But then what? Um, it, remember it says that... Uh, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. That's speaking about the Israelites. But as many as did receive him, in the next verse, to them he gave the right to become what? Children, Children of God. Uh, to those who believed in his name. This is the same Greek phrasing as, 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 the, as the sons of God, to become a child of God. You're, you're now dealing with something that, when you're born again, is that something that we can generate in of ourselves? No. No, right? The only thing we can bring in ourselves is, is the wrath of God, right? We have this heart of stone, and the whole process of being born again is what? Do we, we hear the message and we believe. We, 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 we might recognize ourselves as sinners. We recognize God as a saver, so we believe. That's, that's a truism. But logically, in our reformed doctrines that we believe, regeneration which is the born-again process, the creating of a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, precedes faith, in, logically speaking, right? It's a simultaneous thing, but it, it's something that we can't do in and of ourselves. Our heart has to be changed by God in order to believe, right? That's why we're not allowed to boast in it. We have nothing to boast in. God changed our hearts, right? And that's why the things that follow that are like, can a leopard change his spot? Can the Ethiopian change his skin? You know, these are things that are ridiculous. And the scenario of being born again, once you're born of God, which is the, the John chapter 3 thing with Nicodemus, right? You have to be born from above, born of God, born of heaven, right? You can't even see the kingdom of God until that happens. 
if you if you read that in a logical pattern, it's a it's a little different than the general gospel that would would go out how some of our church friends would believe. But anyways, this is uh, this is the heart of the message of of a sovereign God. He has a people whom he calls to himself, Israel, mine elect. He calls them out. I'm taking you out. You're my people, and I'm taking you to the nation, right? And this is the land that I'm giving to you. Where are we headed um, in the long run as God's people? To a new Jerusalem, right? To the, to the, to the Eden, to, a, to a, career, a new heaven and a new earth, and to be in, in, in harmony with God and in, in, in perfect non-rebellion, right? We can, we can still sin, but we don't lose our sonship. Right, we, we we don't lose our sonship once we become born of God. Um, he's, the Lord says, you know, the, the Father, you're in His hands, right, and He won't lose you, and you're in My hands, and I won't lose you. So you see this Father Son thing that that's got us gripped, and I think that's in John ten or maybe six. Which one is it? Ten. Well, there's this, the, this Galatians chapter four where He talks about, you know, the slave, and then you become the inheritance, or not the inheritance, but the uh, adopted son. Right. And then you have all the, when you get to the age, which I believe is when you get into heaven, that's when you have the full adoption part of it. I guess. I don't know, but it's interesting. Yeah, I would I would agree with, with that, and I think that's true in, in so many things about our faith, particularly the Reformed faith, is the, the concept of the already, not yet. We have been, if we're saved, we have been justified. Right? We'll never be any more saved than at the moment that our heart was changed and we believed. That's justification, right? We have been justified. We are being sanctified, sanctified which is, we've had this talk before, so I'll skip that for a second. And then we will be, we will be glorified, right? So there's, there's an aspect, the glorification part, that is fully realized, which is kind of like uh, what, you're, what you're saying there. But... I think that's enough time without going into it. But again, you're, you have to wrestle through some of the stuff. I don't know how important it is to understand who they are, but it's mentioned in the Old Testament and it's mentioned um, throughout when it's talking about the inhabitants and the repossession, the takeover of the land. Then it's mentioned there in June and Jude. It's also uh, spoken about the spirits who were enslaved in the times of of Noah in First Peter, and I believe it also says something in Second Peter. So we haven't gone over that. Maybe you can pick some of that up next week, unless you're bored of this topic. But, <laughs> but uh, any final thoughts or questions that I can't answer? Hey, hey. great job, good job. But just one one thing. Why you know why even two weeks ago did I even bring this up? You know, one we talk about we want to read our Bibles better. We want to wrestle with some of these things, and, and not saying that. This is absolutely the answer of it. But the reality of the spiritual realm and, and really seeing in the New Testament it talks about spiritual um, powers and authorities and principalities and those things. What was in Paul's mindset as he was, as he was writing things like that or Peter or so forth? Um, but then for us is to recognize that, that I'll, I'll put it for me and maybe you can relate to this, is I think... It's a detriment to myself when I'm always only looking for physical answers to things, right? And I don't recognize that when, whether it's going through difficult times, going through the valley, as, as Pastor Wine has preached on Sunday, right? That there's, 
that there's a spiritual darkness in place, and the biblical authors seem to see this reality clearer than I than I will often do. And to be able to enter in that and say, when I'm going through things, why does why does the Lord seek encourage us to find answers through prayer? Why why when in times of anxiety and depression and stuff is he saying one of the big answers to this is worship. It's prayer. It's 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 these spiritual answers to these things. And and and, I, and that's the thing for us. I think for us to think about is um, I'm not I'm not saying we don't deal with the material world and those things that God has revealed, you know, through science and technology. I'm not saying dismiss that. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is there's a dual reality. Uh, just this morning in our staff chapel, we were looking at. Pastor Wayne had us look at Mark chapter 1, um, where Jesus has this just super busy day, right? Um, so if you go to Mark 1, I think it's like starting in verse 50 or something. Mark's got really long chapters. Um, short, not many chapters, but they're long. Um, uh, it's, no, it's not, there's not a verse 50 in Mark 1. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's... Um, Where he goes away and to a quiet place to pray. Um, Is it thirty-five? There we go, thirty-five. Thank you. Um, or verse. Um, so starting, if you go in verse thirty-two, it says that evening at sundown, Mark one thirty-two, um, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. So here's spiritual reality, right? He's he's at Simon, he's at Simon's house. Um, or his, um, Simon's mother-in-law's house, um, and all, they're just bringing him all these people, and the whole city gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick of various diseases and cast out many demons, and they would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him, and then so he, everybody in the whole town's wanting a piece of Jesus, right? They're coming, they're demon possessed, they're sick, and and he's healing, and so what does he do the next morning? Does he sleep in? <laughs> No, it says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place where he prayed. Because he knew, verse 39, that he had to move on. And they went throughout Galilee preaching the synagogues and casting out more demons. He had more to go and do. But what was, he knew he had to go spend time with his father, right? Um, but he wasn't just physically exhausted, he was spiritually, you know, uh, under spiritual pressure, all, all these things, you know, and so he went out to a solitary pray, place and prayed, which again relates to the end of his sermon last week. What he's saying, we need to foster our relationship with God, right? Because we're dealing with with our own sin, we're dealing with the fallenness of our world, but we're dealing, we're also dealing with the, these spiritual forces mm. that are at work, right? Yeah. Um, and thank God that we have victory over them in Jesus. You know, I don't need to be concerned about them in terms of afraid of, of it because we know we have victory in Jesus. We know that nothing can separate me from the love of God. None of those forces can separate me. Um, but I need to be fostering that relationship, that spiritual relationship I have with my Father and, and through Jesus by the Spirit because that is um, how I'm going to deal with life. 
Um, and so, uh, so that, that's why I, that's hopefully the, you just say, why, why do we do that's For me, that's why we're, we're dealing with this topic. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and seeing just as, as, as that just explains us that, the, that what God has, has done in, lo- in us is the answer, is the key. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Stuff to talk about for a long time. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the creator of all things. Uh, you have a seity, which is you have being within yourself. You're self-sufficient. And uh, we are not, Lord. We are fully dependent upon you. We're fully dependent upon you for the life that you give to us, for our redemption, for the very fact that you would reach out to us with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and redeem your people. Just as you've demonstrated uh, through the ark, through the Red Sea, and through the cross, Lord, and we thank you for that redemption. We thank you uh, that you've uh, given light to our dark eyes, that you've turned our hearts in the flesh from hearts of stone. And Lord, there's times when we, we want to serve our own flesh. Uh, we kind of have this duality within us that uh, you're well aware of because you, you put that flesh on for us that you could... Uh, uh, recognize the same frailties that that we have, Lord, yet you without sin. So it's in those times that I pray that you'll give us strength, that you'll um, give us light um, to just pierce out the darkness that um, might be manifesting before we stretch out into sin, Lord, because we want to glorify you in all that we do. That's our true desire as your children. And Heavenly Father, we uh, just pray that you'll help us to take that light and your truth, which is the gospel message, to the world around us, that we would be bold with that message, that we would behave as the children of light in, in front of this world. Uh, they would see not only um, or, or hear only the things that we say, but see our actions, that they're a reflection of, of your goodness. And through all of that, Lord, take the... Uh, the focus off of us and put it on yourself because you're worthy of all glory. Thank you for this word tonight that uh, is yours. It's uh, confusing for us, Lord, but it's your truth and we're trying to handle it as carefully as we as we can. Um, we pray that you would open our eyes as, as you see fit, um, but that we would uh, always use it in light of the, the plain teachings of your truth, Lord. And so we ask you to help us uh, to go throughout the rest of this week. Uh, to your glory, and prepare for worship together on Sunday. Thank you for all that are here. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Have a great evening. You're welcome. Thank you.